0: Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group.
1: Steve Sherlock here with the Franklin Senior Center Scribblers Group. Another Wednesday, this time we're recording for our October show. And we've got a host of writers here. We'll introduce ourselves as we go around the room to my left.
2: I'm uh, Bill Wiley. I'm Joe Ewald.
1: Hi, I'm
3: Alice Judge. Hello, I'm Faith Flaherty.
0: And I'm Pete Fasiano all day.
3: All day. Just today
1: or all day,
0: I, all the time? I, I, <laughs> all day Every day. I strive for consistency.
1: Consistency <laughs> is good, yes. Uh,
0: only if the police show up, that's not me. Well,
1: no. yeah, that's, yeah th- that was the guy that just left. Right, yes.
0: <laughs> He's not yeah.
1: here. <laughs> He's not here. Day's not here. That's another old line. So today, because this is going to be aired during October, one of the suggestions we had was if we've got something Halloweenish or autumnish. And Bill, I think you've got some Halloween things to start.
4: Yeah, I got. I got a, a couple. I did uh, qu- quite a while ago. If you li- listen to the old shows, I, you probably heard me do one of these. Uh huh. This is uh, Halloween night. Halloween night is here. Ghosts and goblins will be very near. Some look creepy, some look cute. Kids dressed up in their Halloween suits. You give them treats, you give them candy. This sweet little girl by the name of Mandy. They paint their pretty little heads like the walk of the living dead. They gross themselves out till they make you scream and shout. They dress like angels, they dress like devils. But believe me, folks, they're on the level. The living dead will rise when the fall of night arrives. They'll walk amongst the living. They'll take without giving. So friends, don't drop out of sight on this Halloween night.
2: Very good, Bill. That's probably the best thing I've ever heard. Oh, yeah, that really
3: is. You're getting better and better.
4: I got another, another Halloween one. This one I called Halloween. Ghosts and goblins coming near. Halloween will soon be here. You never know what you might meet. Sometimes they'll ask you for a treat. They'll run very close. They'll run away. You never know what they will say. When darkness falls, they'll show themselves. You may end up in a deep, dark well. or a rainy, dark, and stormy night, they want to give you such a fright. Sometimes you'll see them in the bright of day. They'll say hello and be on their way. You'll go to parties. You'll have some fun. But you better watch out. You'll be on the run. You'll run very far when they come after you, but there's nothing at all that you can do. Halloween night will come very soon on the night of the full moon. When the full moon rises on Halloween night, lock your doors and hold on tight. (laughs) Mm. Great. And I got got one romantic one Ah. that I wrote last week. Uh, Whisper my love. My beautiful lady, you brighten my day. I love you so much in every way. You bring the light of the morning sun, and I will be with you when the day is done. My feelings rise with the thought of you. Be my love, my honeydew. I have my morning coffee as I write these words. It is only with you my love will be heard. I know I will love you until the day I die. I know it is you I want by my side. I feel so happy it is you, my sweet. You make my life so complete. I am hopeless, I am a hopeless romantic, a simple man. If you want me to, I'll do a handstand. Uh, through summer fall and cold cold winter, our love will grow and never splinter. As my morning begins, I write these words of love, for I have been blessed from heaven above. My words of love for you will never stop until we climb to that mountain top. For if we get there, I need you near. I'll whisper my love into your ear.
5: Good.
3: Okay. Hey. You like good that one? Deal. <laughs> good deal, Bill. Yeah. It get better and better.
1: Three Absolutely. sets of good words. Yep. That's, that's, you got something today, Joe? Yeah.
2: Okay. So this story is called uh, Different Shades of White. When some of us think of shades, we automatically think they're for windows. But if we dig a little deeper... The word shade was a term used by Charles Dickens in the story, A Christmas Carol, in which Dickens used shade to describe Jacob Marley as he appeared to Scrooge in a transparent form as he had died the day before. Another ghost of an idea is the famous comic book character, Casper the Ghost. These two examples are fictional shades of white, both different. One was a transparent spirit and the other looks like a bedsheet with eyes and a nose cut out. Now, let's try to see if shades really do exist in a non-fictional form. The strongest example that I have is my sister who died of leukemia before I was born. She was only two and a half years old. A month or two had gone by after her death when my two oldest brothers, Bill and Barry, were sleeping in their bunk beds when she suddenly appeared to them. She was a bright light dressed in a flowing white gown as if she might be an angel from God. They both did not realize that the other one had seen my sister until years later. Another shade of white is one I experienced myself. These examples are a little bit on the dark side believe them or not believe them. One time I found my Bible that was on the desk, thrown on the floor, landing on the other side of the room. I did not think it was a sign from God. Also, there was a shade in my closet, 24-7. Even when the sun went down, it was still there. It even moved at times to let me know it was there. This was the room I had rented at the YMCA in Portland, Maine. The other inhabitants there also had their encounters of shades in their rooms. The last shade I'm going to tell you about occurred in a house that was rented by one of my older brothers, who was Barry, who had seen my sister years before, along with Bill. This happened one night on the Jersey Shore when everybody that was sleeping in the house heard a very loud scream Coming from my niece's, who was Sarah, in her bedroom. She had seen an image of an elderly lady who had once lived on the premises many years ago. She came right at her, and then at the last moment, she disappeared. You can believe that one or not. Mm. But you scared the living daylights out of her. <laughs> you know? Fantastic. Yep. The best way to conclude my story is to recite the preface of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And he says, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise a ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly and no one wished to lay it. Their faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens, December, 1843. So there you go. Boo. <laughs> 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 Very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it's, now this all happened. You can, people, you know, may not believe it, but you know, that's, uh,
5: <laughs> that's their choice.
1: In the light of day, there's another
5: shade. Yep, different shades of white. Okay, this is my annual story. (laughs) Halloween at the Brick School. It's known as the Brick School. At one time, all the children in Franklin attended the Brick School. It was remembered quite fondly by the residents. But time goes on and changes inevitable. The town grew and needed more schools, bigger and better schools. Eventually, the brick school closed, and there it sat, unused. That was the state of the building until this one particular Halloween night. Neighbors noticed that there were lights in the windows, and when people approached the school, children's voices were heard, and the children were singing. One little, two little, three little pumpkins, four little, five little, six little pumpkins, seven little, eight little, nine little pumpkins, all on Halloween night. People tried the door. It was locked. The windows were locked also. What was going on? What mischief is this on Halloween night? Word spread quickly, and soon the entire neighborhood surrounded the brick school. The mood was curiously anticipatory. Everyone wondered what to make of it. Since the neighborhood was gathered around the school and in the schoolyard, no one noticed that all the trick-or-treat candy was disappearing from the neighborhood's houses. Silently and stealthily, little ghosts and goblins, princesses and pirates, werewolves and witches, entered the neighborhood's homes and took all the Halloween treats. The people outside at the brick school were oblivious. Suddenly, the children singing inside the school faded out. All became silent. The lights went out rather suddenly. The crowd gasped. There seemed to be a collective blink. But then everyone laughed nervously and walked home talking about the strange event. No one knew what to make of it. And no one knew who stole their candy either. But I will tell you one thing. Everyone kept a closer eye on the brick school from then on. And the town council and the school committee didn't dare demolish the old building. In fact, from that night on, it became a Halloween tradition for the neighborhood to gather around the brick school to party and sing. One little, two little, three little pumpkins, four little, five little, six little pumpkins, seven little, eight little, nine little pumpkins, all on Halloween night. Mm -hmm. Very Ah, good. Oh,
1: what What a great story.
3: (laughs) I love it. I say it every
2: year. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> it sounds so new and fresh. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds just so
3: new yeah. and fresh. Yeah, it's it's all in the presentation.
2: Yeah, That's it's like all way. in the presentation. My, my
3: Halloween even story, as I was reading saying my Halloween
4: story, already knew
3: the
5: words.
3: <laughs> well, since October will be Halloween, and not to be outdone by everybody here, I have a Halloween to forget. And keep in mind, I write in the first person, but this didn't happen to me. It's strictly fiction. (laughs) Not
1: historical fiction, pure fiction. No, pure (laughs) fiction.
3: (laughs) I don't know what you'd call it. Halloween that year fell on a warm evening, but it was foggy, and occasionally it started to rain. We all know about that since we've had nothing but rain in Franklin. Not torrents, but drizzles. Just enough to be annoying, at least to me. My twins, Sammy and Susie Eleven, were excited particularly about this Halloween. Since for the last two years, they have been begging me not to accompany them around the neighborhood. So I had grudgingly agreed to let them go out by themselves this Halloween. And tonight was the night, and for some reason I was nervous. I tried to get my feelings in control and not show how I felt. After all, I reasoned they are old enough, and I had to give them more freedom. Susan, Susie was dressed as a ballerina and was upset because I wanted her to wear a jacket. Susie, or as she wanted to be called, Sue, had made the costume herself, and looking at her, I realized she was no longer a child. Sammy, he wanted to be called Sam, was Spider-Man. They were going with the boy next door, Paul Winslow, who Sammy had just started hanging out with. Another reason, my stomach was down to my shoes. Paul seemed like a nice enough kid, but I really didn't know him. I instructed my twins to be home by 9 o'clock, since they had school the next day. Homework had been done after school. I kissed them goodbye and warned them about going anywhere except the three streets near our house. Paul came over, he was a pirate. I admired his costume. He smiled, the kids were off. I busied myself with a good book. At 8.55 p.m., I started looking for the kids. By 9.05, I was at the door. By 9.30, I had my jacket on and out the door. I scoured the neighborhood, went over to the adjoining streets. No pirates, ballerinas, or Spider-Men. I was getting frantic. I saw my friend Sally Blake. She couldn't find her Joey either. Let's team up, I said. Sally wanted to go back where we had been looking. I wasn't sure what to do. Then I remembered the woods on the edge of town. Both Sammy and Susie were forbidden to go there. What about Paul? I asked Sally about Joey. No, he would never go there. Not since that that guy was found murdered there a couple of months ago. Joey is afraid of his own shadow. That's probably where they went. Joey would not go there, said Sally. Well, I have to go there in case the kids are there and hurt or something. Should we call the police, asked Sally. I thought that was a good idea. You call the police. I'm going over and see what I can find. Sally thought that was a good plan. With trepidation, I started walking towards the woods. I've got to tell you now that I'm as chicken as they come, but I never gave it a thought. I just knew my kids were there. I've always hated the woods that surrounded our town. It was a shortcut to the other side of town, and when people have gone there through there, people report hearing airy noises. Supposedly, a witch was burned at the stake in those woods during the witchcraft days. There was also a marker at the stake with her name on it, and the stack of wood was still around the cross, townspeople had put there. Anyway, that was the rumor. I had not investigated myself. That was a terrible time in history, and so many people died because of superstition and ignorance. I know my kids ask me frequently about the woods, and I tell them I don't want to talk about it, and that only increases their curiosity. By now, I was at the edge of the woods, so incensed that my children might be hurt or worse, I started walking. The wind had come up and the huge trees were dancing to its tune. My flashlight was going off and on. Shit, I remembered not charging it before I left to find Sammy and Susie. Please, God, don't leave me now, I pray. The path was getting hard to distinguish with the leaves falling and I was getting more scared by the minute. I stopped and chided myself for being so nervous. With exaggerated vigor, I plodded on. My mind was racing. Did Paul talk my children into going to see where the witches were burned at the stake? To my knowledge, that would be the only attraction in this place. How about that guy that was murdered in these woods? Had they caught anyone for that crime? There also was talk of people getting stuck in hand here. But I think that was crazy, or was it? Stop talking nonsense, I said out loud. I forged ahead, starting to call the children. Sammy, I caught myself. Sam, I yelled. Sue, Paul, are you here? I thought I heard a noise, but attributed it to the wind. I listened again. Was there something... It was then I realized my feet were wet. I looked down at my pant legs, they were wet. I mustn't be on the path. I looked around and realized I was lost. When I did find the kids, I wouldn't know the way out. It was only then that I realized that I felt the tears on my cheeks that I realized I was crying. I can't lose it now, I said. My flashlight was faltering. Shit, 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 I screamed. Please, God, take care of me so I can find the children. I cried to no one. It was then I saw it, a broken-down shack in the distance. It looked dilapidated, but it was sheltered because I couldn't believe it, but to make matters worse, it started raining. I slushed along in the water, every step thinking it was getting deeper deeper and I would find the kids drowned just as I would be. But God heard my prayers and as the shack got closer I called out to the kids. At first I thought I was hearing things. Then as I got closer they were calling Mum. I was really crying now but laughing too as I saw their scared faces with my flashlight. I hugged all three and they started crying. Sammy and Susie wondering if I would punish them for going into the woods when they were told not to. I couldn't talk, so happy I was that I found them. I couldn't stop hugging and kissing Susie, Sammy, and Paul. It was what I thought. Paul was telling my children about the witches and how he had discovered the burn site when his older brother took him there. It was raining heavily now, so as creepy as the shack was, we needed to stay and figure our way back to the road. Had Sally called the police? I tried my cell phone, nothing. I looked around. There was a broken down bench. I tried it. Knowing it would hold my weight, I told the kids to sit on it while I prayed for someone to rescue us. I wanted to appear to the kids nonchalant as if this was an adventure and we were having fun. I wonder how I did. The kids didn't appear to buy it, but it was worth a try. It was past midnight. The police should have been here by now. We might not be able to get out of here until daylight. I sat on the floor in front of the kids and proposed a game to play while we were waiting. The kids were getting tired. I looked up at the boards in the ceiling. They could fall any second. I willed myself not to register fear in front of the little ones. I spied what was once a cabinet. I looked and found some sheets. Maybe at one time someone lived here. Wow, what a find. I laid the sheets out on the floor and put the very tired children down on them. They couldn't care less where they slept. They were so tired. I sat on the bench and kept watch, trying my cell phone time and time again. Nothing. I must have dozed because a noise awakened me in the distance. I looked at my watch. It was 3 a.m. The noise kept getting closer. Was it the police? If I yelled, the kids might wake up and suppose it wasn't help. Suppose it was trouble. Afterwards, I thought, That must have sounded so stupid, but I wanted to prepare myself for anything at this point. It was the police. I woke the kids up. They said an ambulance was going to take us all to the hospital to check us out. The temperature had gone down during the night, so I was glad to hear that. Afterwards, the police drove us all home. Paul's father ran out to greet us. He had reported his son missing and had told the police his son had gone out trick-or-treating with Sammy and Susie. Police had called Paul's father from the hospital, telling him his son was okay. Sally had found her son Joey, and in the excitement of finding him, they went home. It was then that Sally remembered about me and called the police. I must remember to not ask Sally to do anything for me again. That happened years ago, but every time our family gets together at Halloween, we tell the story to the lo- delight of my grandchildren and they love it.
2: Very good. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. It's well written. I like the choice of words you use throughout the whole story. Thank you, Yep. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you've got something, sir?
0: This is entitled Bonus Candy. Mm. When I was young, 8, nine, ten, Halloween obviously was one of the great kids' traditions. Now, it raises the question, when is the last kids' Halloween? I mean, these days I tend to see, you know... Teenagers, Mm -hmm. young adults coming by, trick-or-treating. It seems to be a pretty open experience. When I was growing up, there was this unspoken hard cutoff date. And I figured it was around 10 years old. So Mm. this is the very late 50s. And I figured, all right, this this must be the last Halloween for little Petey. So we had to formulate a bold plan. And along with Kenny Segan, Danny Olson, and myself, the three of us went out Halloween night. Now, the bold plan involves figuring out the route, figuring out how early you can get away with starting, and figuring out how late you can go. With the idea is that we are going for maximum candy yield. (laughs) Big concept. So we wanted to to finish big. So, we started off the usual route, uh, some of which based on our collective paper routes, people we knew, etc. Remember paper routes, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, this was also a time before Halloween had really become heavily commercialized with lots of merchandising. So, if you were going out with something, it was often a pillowcase. And we had gotten to the point where we were in a neighbor. most of the neighborhood had three-decker walk-ups. This is uh, very near Boston, and everything was a triple-decker in the neighborhood. So the custom was you start on the first floor, you ring the bell, you trick-or-treat, you go up to the next floor, and you go up to the next floor, and so on. This was the last house. The last house on the street, the last house of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and so... We ring the first doorbell. And by the way, it's pretty late. It's like, I think we were pushing past 10. We were into it. So we ring the first doorbell. Nothing. Okay. We ring the second doorbell. Nothing. So we either were being ignored or nobody was home or it was. So we ring the third doorbell. And there was this unspeakably loud buzzing noise because Obviously, people in the third floor to let folks in would hit the buzzer. The door would you know, do it, and then you'd, you'd hear it and walk in. Well, this was a particularly loud buzzer. And somehow, we were already inside ringing the doorbells in the small foyer. And when the buzzer went off, Kenny Segan just ran for his life. <laughs> Kenny? (laughs) Oh, Kenny. Anyway, Kenny had run all the way up two flights of stairs, (laughs) flapping his arms like crazy, candy getting spewed all over the place, every single step covered with the stuff. And we get to the third floor, and the very patient people said, kind of late, isn't it? So we spent probably the next five or ten minutes. Trying to retrieve Kenny's candy um, and feeling a little bad for him, we decided to take a couple of handfuls of our own and put it in the bag in his in Kenny's bag so hence the bonus candy now fast forwarding about fifty years I'm not living in the city anymore. Halloween has changed um, but now I live in a house with a really long 400-foot driveway. I live in the woods. (laughs) And there's a pond and so forth. and Very woodsy. And the kids look down my driveway and they see little street lamps and so forth. And I figured if they're willing to make the journey down the driveway, I'm going to give them some bonus candy. In part because of the fact that well, today, candy manufacturers have introduced that new fun size, which we know is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, really. So we make it worth it for them to come down the driveway. And in one particular year, I noticed it was awfully quiet and we weren't getting any kids. And it took me a while to figure it out, but it was an oddly a humid night or something but there was fog floating across the driveway (coughs) lots of it we're talking Steven Spielberg fog we're talking Steven King fog (laughs) so nobody came and so on that particular Halloween night I'm the one who ended up with all the bonus candy (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and enjoyed every last bite of it Yes I did <laughs> Very
4: good oh. that, that was similar to, to my last Halloween You know night, Kenny but... always was
3: chicken <laughs> Yes
0: Yes One of the things that I remember about Halloween also Is that one year A neighbor who happened to be an architect Was out trick or treating with a whiskey glass <laughs> <laughs> I looked looking at him and said, good sh- on you <laughs> Looking for shots yes. Did
3: he get any? Oh yeah he was, he was Wow Yeah
0: yeah. I could tell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> by, by how much she wobbled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, to that end, my title would be very appropriate in terms of confused, bewildered, or... <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of my newer forms of uh, poetic endeavors. It's in two parts. And the title, yes, is indeed. <coughs> confused, bewildered, or... You can walk around confused... And bewildered, or be like the youngster who spins down the driveway on his one speed while the band plays on? How is it the sunlight just so reveals the dust that has been gathering from the bike running down the driveway while the band plays on? We find the cleaner and cloths to get rid of the dust putting aside the writing which wasn't going as fast as that single-speed wheel while the band plays on. If there's a cure for an illness, why won't folks take it? If there is a treatment that helps an illness, it can be like a single-speed cycle while the band plays on. Is nonsense the lack of sense or a component of sense? that you can build on, like Lego blocks or shifting gears on a 10-speed bike while the band plays on. I heard someone reveal that it took them until they were in college to find out that there were poets that were indeed alive in writing that very day while the band played on. Part 2. There are pairs of things to think about. That'll give you a pause, cause you to do a double take. Check it out. Where? Why? While a band plays on. As we grow older each day, some wisdom may reveal itself to us, releasing us from instant satisfaction, bestowing us patience while a band plays on. Writing works when you can read and follow what I'm attempting to convey. Head nodding, uh uh-huh, providing feedback, gears shifting cleanly, while the band plays on. Intuitions come first, strategic reasoning second. We need an emotional approach to bring others to a review of facts, while the band plays on. Addressing the elephant in the room is good. Reason rides the beast, whether shifting gears or kicking up dust while the band plays on. The hard rib cage protects the pumping heart, sending oxygenated blood throughout, letting us clean, ride, or do the double take while the band plays on. So Sherlock, you know, Positioning is key for the line of sight in a quartet. The eyes do a lot of communication, keeping the rhythm, shifting the gears, while the band plays on.
2: Very good.
4: Very good. Very good. That, that reminded me of a, of a song title. Oh, it does. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think I had
1: heard something of that somewhere along the way. So, yeah, that I can't, I, I can't say that it did not have an influence. <laughs> yeah.
3: Now, how do you um, plan that? Do you um, first get the um, last uh, repetitive phrase and then you work from there?
1: There's in the two parts. The first part tends to be something of the sense of confusion. There's some scene setting Mm -hmm. there. And then hopefully the second part brings a little bit more, not always resolution, but some sense to it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the trigger point generally is either the phrase, in this case, the band plays on, Mm -hmm. or some other trigger for which then the gray matter comes up and says, well, this could work. Let's try that. <laughs> so it's it some just come quicker than others. Um this one came fairly quickly. And yeah, then it just You do it
3: very well. Thank you.
1: It's fun. I think we still got some time. Uh Joe, did you have another one?
2: Yeah, it's um we got some bonus candy here. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bonus writing. Yeah, and, and the story is the same. You can believe it or choose not to believe it. But uh, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, my parents were a lower income, and um, we lived in a, you know, I wouldn't say the worst neighborhood in Norfolk, but, uh, you know, maybe, you know, not far from it. And anyways, um, next door to my house, there were um, a family called the Daltons, and um, this story is called The Purge of Demonica Dalton. And, um... Believe it or not, the seventh child in a family has special powers, and they're good powers, and you maybe you could, you could call them an archangel, in a sense. But if you have good, you have evil, and next door, that was, that's what existed in Monica Dalton, and she put a curse on me because of who I was, and the curse ran over to the school where I was picked on by bullies and other such obstacles that were not good. And I always was saved by other angels that existed, like my older brother who scared the bullies away. But it always continued to be that school thing. And then in the sixth grade, I guess I sent too many Valentines to one girl, and her boyfriend, forced to fight on me in an open field next to the school where of course the whole sixth grade stood and watched me get my a kicked i didn't fight back because i didn't think that i did anything wrong but after the fight down the road where this kid lived and he got to his house before i did but of course she walked home from school and I, when I walked by his house, he was inside the door. And this time, I was ready to fight because something wrong had happened to me. But he didn't come out of his house. Funny how that works, you know, when bullies, when confronted, back down. But anyway, the harassment continued. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't think it was my looks, (laughs) but maybe it was. (laughs) But anyways, it continued on into Portland, of course, where I lived in the YMCA, which I had stated in the earlier story, and I was harassed by demons. And it goes on today, good against evil. On the way here, Faith Flaherty told me a story about... um, Demonic things going around. Um, I'm in the Legion of Angel. I mean, I'm not in the Legion of Mary. I'm in the Legion of Mary, and it's a, a special prayer group at St. Mary's. And we pray the rosary for people that are dying or that are sick. But, anyways, um, because of the pandemic, what, what the Legion does is put out free rosaries. And because of the pandemic, those rosaries um, weren't allowed to be to be put out anymore. So, um, I'm working on getting those rosaries restored, uh, so people can pick them up when they leave mass so I have to talk to the pastor, of course. But anyways, she told me about a group of demons that grabbed, um, got in possession, um, a bowl full of rosaries and put a curse on it. And, well, this is true. And, um, I told Faith today that um, when those rosaries are blessed, being blessed is strong enough to fend off the curse because good always wins over evil. And the thing that, the biggest thing that fights against a demon, and one of the strongest things that happens, is when a person gives up his life for another person. And, of course, that has happened in Afghanistan when a uh, sergeant was with, and this is true, when a sergeant was with his men, and th- they were in a, a shack, a room, and um, the enemy threw a bomb, an explosive, in the room, and the sergeant threw himself on the explosive, got killed, but in the process saved the other men that were in the room. And evil does not like when you sacrifice your life for another person because that's against all its code. But believing and having faith is the strongest thing that you can have in this world. So it's good to have Halloween. I think it's a little bit on the dark side. But you have to remember the next day is All Souls Day. And then the next day after that is All Saints Day. So you have Halloween, but you have to keep it in perspective. Mm -hmm. And remember the good. So that's my little bonus candy. (laughs) Excellent.
4: (laughs) You made me think of a song, uh, Johnny Rivers, uh, The Seventh Son. Yep, I know.
2: (laughs) Because it is is true that the seventh son in a family Mm -hmm. has something going on there for being good yeah seven's a lucky number right? yeah it Many is cases. and then of course six Many cultures yeah six is the, supposedly the bad number well triple sixes is yeah triple six <laughs> the worst
1: <laughs> so for the listeners we hope you've enjoyed this session this uh month's readings Uh, stay tuned we'll come back for another month and then after and after and after Uh, for those in the area if you'd like to join us we meet at the senior center weekly on wednesdays at one if you are remote and would still like to join us we share a zoom link at the same time weekly wednesdays at one contact the senior center or contact the studio and you can get on the mailing list to find that good info So we thank you for joining us today. We thank our writers for sharing their stories today. And we'll do one final round. So Steve Sherlock, closing out here. I'm Bill Wiley.
2: And I'm Joe Ewald. Hi, Alice Judge.
0: Hello, I'm Faith Flaherty. And I'm Pete joining, I'm chomping on my bone candy.
1: (laughs) Thank you all. Till next time, keep writing and reading and listening to your heart's desire.
0: Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time. I'm Peter J.
3: Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write.
0: This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.